Good afternoon and welcome to another session of I Want to Speak to Principals. I'm Dr. Michael Milstead, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the amazing and dynamic Mr. William Jeffrey. Our episode this week is Parent Involved. Oh man, this is going to be a good one today. In today's episode, we'll explore answers to some of the following questions regarding parent involvement. At what level of a child's education is parent involvement most important? Why are some parents reluctant to become involved in their child's learning? What are some of the barriers to parent involvement? What can schools do to encourage more involvement in their campus? How do schools manage helicopter parents from taking over the campus? You know, Research supports that parents occupy an important role in their child's education. And as a principal, I've observed that when parents are involved in their child's learning at any school level, not only is the student's academic performance enhanced, but there are also better attendance at school, there's little or no off-task behavior issues, they're more likely to be involved in extracurricular activities, and go on uh, to graduate from high school on time. So we will hear from principals, perspectives from across the country on their strategies for engaging parents in their child's education. Sit back, relax, and join us in this segment of I Want to Speak to the Principal. Big dollars, what's happening? Oh, nothing. Will, how's everything going to you? Man, everything is great. Yeah, that's good. Same here, man. Same here. Well, school's out. Hey, man. You know, and it's time for some barbecue and fireworks. There you go. There you go. It is. Uh, we're coming up on that 4th of July day, and uh, want to wish uh, all of our listeners out there a happy 4th of July. We know we're a little early, yeah. but uh, it'll be here tomorrow anyway. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So tell me about the conference. Well, Will, I tell you, man, I had the opportunity to attend uh, an outstanding, an amazing conference uh, this uh, this summer. The uh, oh, well, last month that is last week, the uh, Innovative Schools Conference. Uh, the conference uh, had had a wide range of educational topics, anywhere from cultural responsiveness to PBIS, uh, school discipline, uh, teaching hip hop. Believe it or not, teaching hmm. hip hop. My favorite. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Watch out now, T.I., my boy. <laughs> uh, teaching hip hop, that is, and uh, adding hip hop in their, in their curriculum. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, there was over 3,000 attendees at this conference, so it was well done. Wow. What schools were represented at that conference? Well, we, we had, man, it was against schools from all over the country. You name it, and folks were there. Uh, we had uh, private schools there. We had uh, public schools, charter schools, uh, girls' schools, boys' schools, wow. uh, virtual schools. And so it was a very wide and diverse uh, audience. A lot of teachers, superintendents, uh, principals, and uh, so it, 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 it was well attended. Excellent. So, what were the sessions that you found most interesting at that conference? Wait a minute. What's the name of the conference again? The Innovative Schools Conference. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what sessions did you find most um, interesting? Well, they had a myriad of section, sessions there. I mean, there was a ton of uh, sessions that you could attend, like I named earlier, all of the, the different areas that they included. But three things that really kind of stood out to me was a session that was conducted by Baruti Khalife. Uh, he's a principal, was a principal, he is out in New Jersey. Um, he had a great session on uh, motivating 
uh, boys of color. Uh, also, Demiso Josie and Kareem Spence. I'll talk to you a little bit about hip hop. Uh, they had a very creative and innovative approach uh, to teaching uh, this new generation of, of hip hop kids with a, uh, a, a an amazing curriculum that they're using. And of course, Robert Jackson was there. Uh, he had a, a great session on uh, building school culture uh, and including and including uh, cultural responsiveness also in, in his sessions. Yes, cultural responsiveness is really huge, especially at the conference that I went to at ISTE. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, man, I connected with a lot of different people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sarah Thomas, yeah, yeah, uh, Shelly Terrell, mm-hmm. Valerie Lewis, mm-hmm. Brian Romero Smith. Okay. Okay. Uh, man, names are just really uh, Dr. Will, Will Dayimport. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, it was an amazing conference. Yeah, I saw that, man. I saw all those folks hitting us up on Twitter. So uh, yeah. I was impressed, man. That, yeah. that was fantastic. That yeah. was fantastic. So that's the next episode. We're going to get to this episode, which is parent involvement. Oh, yeah. You ready? Uh, yeah, I'm ready to go, man. We okay. got a lot to talk about. All right. All right, Doc. Talk with us about the historical perspective of family involvement in U.S. schools. Well, Will, just to show you how deep the foundation uh, is rooted in parental involvement, man. As far as 1897, the National Congress of Mothers set up a statement of purpose that cited the basis of their organization. 1897. Yeah, there you go, man. That was almost some 90 years ago. And parent involvement is still a tenet of student learning. That is amazing. And then, you know, it transitioned uh, around 1924. That organization changed its name to the National Conference of Parents and Teachers. And today, you know, you know them as the PTA or your PTO. Get out of here. There you go. That's how the PTA was formed. That's your lesson for today, Will. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need that list. I never would have thought mm-hmm. that the PTA, first of all, started off as a National Congress of Mothers. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, of course, it transitioned over the years. But what's what's vitally important is to recognize that in all of uh, federal uh, legislation, you know, you look at the the, uh, War on on Poverty back in 1964, the Elementary and Secondary Schools Act, No Child Left Behind, and most recently, uh, Every Student Succeeds Act, all of those include a parent involvement component. Yes. So... Historically, parents have been involved in their students' education. Right? Well, not, and not just only parents, we communities also. You know, it really wasn't until around 1964 when government uh, started becoming involved in schools that parents and communities started kind of pushing themselves away from being so involved in their, in their child's education. Uh, but for the most part, up until that, that time, uh, there was substantial involvement uh, in schools by parents and communities. I'm sure that when you were young and coming up, man, in your church, uh, you know, you had probably some teachers attend your church. Right. And they talked to your mom about what you were oh. doing. That means you set up and fly right every day in class. Man, I, my pastor, mm-hmm. <laughs> his sister-in-law, right. taught my whole family. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of pastors, my grandfather was a pastor. Uh, for 46 years, and most of my teachers attended his church. Oh, so, <laughs> you couldn't get away with nothing. Nothing at all. So, okay, <laughs> i give you a little insight how I came up from school. Hey, man, you know, the community, right? they had to be involved. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we need to kind of get a little bit back more to today.
Doc. The next part we need to talk about is Title One schools. Okay. Right. So yeah. I got a question for you. Ah, okay. Um, many students of low income are located primarily in Title One schools. Mm-hmm. First of all, what is a Title One school? Okay. Well, Title One school will is a, a school that receives federal funds. Uh, in a title school, a substantial number of the students, are over, roughly about 40% of the population, is on free and reduced lunch, and they come from low-income households. Uh, title I schools uh, receive uh, supplemental, like I said, supplemental federal funding uh, in addition to their, to their local school uh, funding. Yeah. And I heard you say that 40% of the population in a Title I school mm-hmm. is at the poverty line. Yeah, and that 40, that 40% will is really a baseline. If you had a 40% uh, free and reduced line school, that's still, I mean, you still have a pretty good representation of diversity in your school. Now, when you start getting up there to 70, 75, and like I've been in some schools, 95%. 95%. 95%, man. And 95% wow. of my kids in, uh, in one school that I was principal of uh, was on free and reduced lunch. And so that is a substantial number of students that are coming from low-income households. Many students of low income are located primarily in Title I schools. Right. For our listeners, what is a Title I school? Okay. Well, a Title I school is a school that receives federally federal back funding. In a Title school, a substantial number of the student population, over 40%, receive free or reduced lunch. And most come from low-income uh, households. Title I schools receive, uh, like I said, supplemental federal funding in addition to their local school uh, budget. So, 40%? Yeah, that's correct. Like earlier, we talked about earlier, 40% is really like the baseline uh, for Title I schools. Many schools are averaging, I would say, anywhere from uh, anywhere from 60 to 65%. At one time, I was at a title school. I was supposed to be at a title school. We had over 95% of our 95%. Kids, 95%. Almost the entire student population of about 700 kids were on free and reduced lunch. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, we'll, and here's the big thing about that. Countless research uh, studies suggest that parent involvement is least at low-income schools. Wow. Man, so what are some of the barriers which prevent low-income families from becoming involved in their child's education? Well, well, you know, the importance of enlisting parents and community members in children, and children's education uh, came on the forefront, like I said earlier, back in 1965. Uh, the U.S. Department of Education commissioned a research study conducted by Mr. Coleman called the Coleman Report. The, uh, the paper stated that public education did significantly impact the ability of students to reach their full potential. Uh, Coleman concluded that children who lack support or a value of education in their home were at a disadvantage and could not learn at the same rate as those students merging from wealthier families valuing educational instruction. Now, that's powerful, man. That is powerful. That is powerful. So you saying back in 1965, we already understood that economics affects students' learning. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head, man. Yeah. So what Coleman said in essence is that uh, economics, just like you put it, uh, so profoundly, economics does impact the child's education. Okay, so I want to go deeper about the Coleman Report because we talked about the Coleman Report. Right. The Coleman Report actually took a look at uh, the difference between African-American 
or I should say students of uh, different cultural backgrounds than that of the status quo at that particular time. Right? Well, you had it, I think you had it right pretty much at, on the first part. It really wanted to look at the disparities between black and white kids and how they learn for mm -hmm. the most part. Uh -huh. And uh, as a, uh, a, one of his conclusions uh, from this entire report, it, it was commissioned actually back in 1965 by the Johnson administration on the war on poverty. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, as, you, as you, again, so profoundly stated, uh, at his conclusion, he found out if you have some money, yeah. nine times out of ten, your kids are going to do better in school. If you ain't got no money, it's going to be more challenging for them. And so that's why I've always felt that when parents are involved in their child's education, it is really an investment. And I always like to refer to it instead of parent involvement, parent investment, because you're investing time. And when you invest time in your kids' education, man, they're going to, and like the research consistently shows, then your kids are going to be more successful in school. Back to my original question, mm -hmm. what are some of the barriers that parents face? Okay, well, let, let me just say, you know, I, so, so we'll get this straight. I wouldn't try to moonwalk away from your questions or anything, <laughs> man, but I just wanted to give you, give you a historical perspective on low-income parents. But, but here are some of the barriers, Will, uh, that low-income uh, families face in becoming involved with their child's uh, school. Now, here are some of the barriers that I've experienced as a, as a, as a principal. Uh -huh. uh, first of all, most of them work, you know, more than one job. So that can create a problem, man. Uh, they, they don't feel connected to the school. Uh, a lot of times they're not welcome. Uh, little or no communication from the school. Uh, and strangely enough, man, a lot of times they're intimidated by the staff. Intimidated by the staff. Yeah. Absolutely. So teachers can make parents feel intimidated? Well, yeah, in, in some instances. You know, a lot of times the parents don't feel that uh, they have... Uh, the, the 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 education or the 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 background to uh, to speak intelligently to parents. Uh, they don't, may not feel like they have the academic vocabulary to use. A lot of times, teachers may use words beyond which uh, just to just to keep that uh, keep that edge that uh, superiority that superior superiority edge. complex. There you go. Yeah. So not only does that happen towards students, it also happens towards parents. Absolutely, absolutely, and that can be a turnoff because if a parent don't feel respected or appreciated or valued uh, and feel like they're being marginalized and talked down to, uh, in any instances, I don't care where you go, be it a school or a church or a bank or whatever. Uh, you know, you that's going to shy you away from wanting to be involved in, in, in that in that environment. Okay, man, go go ahead, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just a few others. Uh, um, they might not may have transportation. Uh, we take that for granted a lot that you know the parent get down and parent may not can get to, to the school. Um, they may feel that uh, the, it's totally the school school's responsibility and that's their job. You know, I talked to you earlier back in 1965, that's when we started really seeing the separation between the home and the school. Uh -huh. A lot of parents think, hey, that's your job, take care of that, of that kid. Sometimes uh, teachers can't get in touch with parents. They've changed their phone numbers several different times because the parents are saying, hey, I'm at my job working. You do your job. <laughs> you do your He's, job. Yours. He's yours now. So right. we, we have to change that type of mentality. Uh, they take care of their elderly parents sometimes. Uh, they may be... Uh, the caregiver to uh, an elderly mom or grandmother, and that can prevent them because there's no one there to, to look after that person if they're not there to do it. 
That is so true. And I know that the baby boomer generation is actually aging now. Right. There are more elderly here on the earth in right. America right. than there has ever been. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that Absolutely. sandwich generation right. would have to, they have children, they have older parents, and they right. have to take care of them. Yeah. And, you know, putting, uh, actually placing uh, placing an elderly parent or um, family member in a, in a hospice or a nursing home, that can be pretty expensive. Yeah. And if you're low income and you, you can't afford that, many times those folks don't have the insurance also to support it. There's a few other things with various will. Um, that a lot of times they may have small kids, uh, little, you know, youngsters, infants that they can, uh, don't feel like they can bring down to the school with them or have no one to take care of the, the kids at home. So uh, that could prevent them. And, um, you know, a lot of times they've never been trained how to help their child. We sometimes as educators just assume that parents automatically know uh, how to uh, be involved in their child's education. And many times uh, that, that just, uh, they just don't, they don't have the background of the training. I'm a, I am going to make a confession. Mm -hmm. That is something I'm guilty of. Right. That a parent should automatically know mm -hmm. how their child should be, uh, how, how they should be involved in their student's life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and I think that happens with a lot of schools and a lot of teachers also. That's why it's so important that as school, as school leaders uh, need to lead the charge in, in involving parents. We have to assume a lot of times that uh, that maybe our parents have really really don't know how to be involved. And uh, you know, we uh, we uh, we have just shown that you know. How, some of the simple things that they can do to become involved in their child's parenting is like, you know, making sure they're doing homework every night, just asking them about their schoolwork. Um, like I said, from a leadership standpoint, make that school more welcoming for parents to come into, make sure that we're reaching out to parents. There are many students that make up Title I students. Mm -hmm. um, so many of the Title I students have a large population of English language and special needs students. That's correct. What are some of the strategies for engaging those parents? Well, you know, according to the U.S. Department of Education, approximately 51% of all uh, students live in low-income households, and many ELL students are English language learning students, um, are first-generational students in U.S. schools, and many struggle with verbal and written communication, uh, which impact learning. So in some cases, the students may come to school from speaking little or no English, and have no formal education or background at all. Um, you know, some of the barriers to ELL parent involvement is pretty much almost some of the same as with all parents. Uh -huh. You know, but here's some of the things that I, I think that, that schools have to do to involve these parents more. Just again, make their schools more welcoming. Now, you say make them well. What? How do you make your school welcoming? What's, well, what's that's making the climate of your school uh, um, adaptable to. We, we talked earlier about cultural responsiveness, yeah. and this is a good area that we can kind of embed that in, in the school climate. Right. Uh, understanding that, well, let me give you a case in point. When I was a elementary principal, I was principal of a bilingual campus, uh -huh. and every and when you walked into my campus, I had both, everything that I had that had welcomed me my parents was both in English and in Spanish. Okay. Everything that I did, all the students' work, uh, uh, all the aesthetics were both in English and, and Spanish because the Spanish kids represented about 65% of my student population. Okay. So those type of things that kind of made uh, parents want to come to the school. Okay. I made sure that my uh, front office reception person uh, spoke with bilingual, spoke both English and parents so they can communicate with parents. 
So making it uh, your school inviting and, and welcoming and make the parents want to come in and don't feel, make them feel like they're isolated or alienated from the school is very important. Um, you know, the, uh, Spanish teachers are taught Spanish. I had Spanish teachers sometimes to teach Spanish uh, because, like I said, Spanish was my, was 65% of my students were, were Hispanic. I had them to teach Spanish in the afternoons to my to my teachers. Well, I would love that, mm-hmm. and we know we know that with America being a melting pot that it is, mm-hmm. that it's just not mm-hmm. when we talk about ELL, it's just not mm-hmm. Spanish anymore. Right? You know, there are tons of languages. There you go, absolutely, a diverse absolutely. place, right? Yeah. So, I was in a school also that uh, had a large percentage of my 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 uh, my students spoke Mandarin, and oh. so we did some of, some of the same same type of things. So you're absolutely correct. Right. Uh, um, yeah, it, there. When we talk about uh, ELL, that includes all different types of languages. Um, also, I would always make sure that I had an interpreter there. Uh-huh. Also, uh, whenever I was speaking to one of my Spanish, who did, um, one of my t- uh, uh, parents, that is, that didn't speak English. So those type of things can make a school more welcome. When you when they see that you're reaching out, a huge thing that I did in my schools, though, will is that I made uh, my school a community resource. Uh, on Saturdays, I had uh, language classes for uh, Spanish-speaking parents who want to learn how to speak English. I would bring in financial institutions in to show them how to buy homes and uh, and manage their finances better. Wow! Uh, I would actually go out, reach out to churches, go out to churches and talk to them about. Uh, actually, I would be on the program sometime where they'd give me a minute. Uh, doing the announcements to come in, introduce myself, just tell the parents a little bit about what's going on in the school and, and getting them involved. So those type of things are a good way, I think, of reaching ELL, especially the parents. So this is what I like about, you know, you in this situation. This is not stuff that just that's just made up. This is stuff that you actually did. Absolutely. And 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 uh, from in, engaging these actions, uh, saw an increase in parents being involved in the school. Doc, so you interviewed a couple of principals, superintendents at the Innovative Schools Conference. Yes, I did, uh, Will. And I tell you, man, I, I first of all, I just want to tell you about the experience of interviewing. I had a bunch of fun doing that. It was, uh, I felt important. Yeah. People kind of watched me going around <laughs> with my microphone, uh-huh. uh, stopping folks and uh, just kind of, particularly principals, and getting their input on parental involvement. Met a lot of great principals that had some very interesting and uh, creative ideas to their approach to parent involvement. Uh-huh. And um, so I was able to talk to them, talk to about six principals. Uh, about how they involve parents in their child's education. And uh, so we're going to play those and uh, just kind of let our audience hear what these folks have to say. These principals are, are principals for charter schools. They're principals of, of public schools. And we have one that's even a principal of a virtual school. Now, that kind of threw me a little bit uh, because I wasn't expecting her to say she was a principal of, of a virtual school. Uh, she's a, a very articulate per- lady. We were sitting there having a conversation, and uh, she was asking, hey, what are you doing walking around with that mic and tape recorder? I said, well, I'm interviewing principal. She said, hey, I used to be, I was a principal at a virtual school. She said, well, does that count? I said, it certainly does. We're all teaching kids, and we all have parents involved. Exactly. So she has a very different perspective on parent involvement as some of the other schools. Yes, yeah, so let's take a listen. 
This is Mike Mills there with I Want to Speak with the Principal. I'm here with the superintendent from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas of uh, Charter Schools. And I'm going to let her introduce herself. I'm Lanisha Roberts. And Lanisha, um, Lanisha's here in Atlanta at the uh, Innovative School Conferences. And our next episode of Speak to the Principal is in regards to parent involvement. Lanisha, uh, uh, give me your input on the importance of parents being involved in their child's education. Well, it's important that parents are involved, one, because they need to know what's going on in the school and what's expected of their children, and also what's expected of the parents' support that's needed in order to move the kids forward. Okay. And uh, talk to me a little bit about helicopter parents. In your school district, do you guys have those type of parents, those that hover over uh, their child's education and are constantly in the school? And how do you handle that if you do? That's an issue we don't see a lot of uh, with our school being almost 98% free and reduced lunch. We don't have those that hover over our children, which sometimes, you know, we want those parents up there to shadow. That's one of the techniques that we use versus suspension. We ask them to come shadow their child in the classroom, which becomes something very hard for us to get parents to commit to. So that's not an issue we deal with a lot. Keith for Triplett, Coweta County School System. All right, Keith, thank you, Keith, for uh, actually uh, interviewing with us today. Uh, we're going to have Keith on uh, with the, talking about parent involvement. Uh, Keith, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. If you'd give me the uh, your input to those, I would certainly appreciate it. Uh, no problem, sir. Okay, thank you, Keith. So, Keith, tell us about the demographics of your school. Uh, demographics of my school, population, well, student enrollment, I should say, about 712 students. Uh, my biggest class will probably be my rising eighth grade class this year. Uh, looking at a Title I school, uh, last year we were at 68% free and reduced lunch. This year, predicting 71% free and reduced lunch. Um, Demographic-wise, about 68% Caucasian, about 22%, give or take, um, African-American, and uh, my Hispanic population is rising between 5 and 7%, then other for the remaining. Wow, well, sounds like a lot of diversity. Keith, uh, how do you define parental involvement in your school? <laughs> it's funny, you say I, I tell my teachers all the time parental involvement comes in different ways. With my parents, parental involvement to us at Smoky Road Middle School is just parents being aware, being supportive, and being available. Most of my parents work not only one full-time job, they're either going to work a second part-time job, or they're going to work a second full-time job. Mr. Robert Jackson. Mr. Jackson is actually uh, one of the uh, co, uh, I guess was it would be a producer, Robert? Would it be a, you guys are uh, actually putting on a, a, a seminar here today, a conference here in Atlanta. He's going to be a keynote speaker here. That's correct. Yeah, and, and workshop presenter. You know, Mr. Jackson has several books that he's written also. Uh, his primary um, uh, focus is on working with uh, African-American boys. We want to have, we had Mr. Jackson here. We're just going to ask him a little bit about his uh uh, uh, his views on parental involvement because that will be our next segment. Mr. Jackson, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what do you think about parent involvement in schools and how it impacts student learning? Well, I think it's extremely important um, because where kids come from, the psychological, spiritual, and emotional well-being of any student is a parent's responsibility. 
and there's a lot of kids with emotional issues and issues at home coming and bringing that to school but even though it's a parent's responsibility um, some parents are only given their best of what they can do so we have to provide more training uh, for parents but I believe their involvement is important but we can't continue to ridicule parents we have to find a way to pull them in and teach them and not just parents I mean educators as well educators should look look at their roles as more than being educators sometimes we're parents sometimes we're big brothers or big sisters or we're aunts or uncles um, but it takes all three groups working together, Doc, um, parents, educators, and students to bridge that gap. That's great. Robert, uh, and well, we're going to let you do a little promo also. Tell us a little bit about some of the latest books that you've written. Well, right now I'm writing a book for ASCD. It's called, um, well, I don't really have a title yet, but it's on building culture awareness. Uh, but I have other, other books out, um, Solutions Educating Black and Latino Males. Uh, no More Excuses, Black Men Stand Up, and the workbook. Then I have the workbook for the girls, the bullying book for uh, all kids. Right, so, okay. right. got a few few products out, man. We're still working on some new ones. Good deal, good deal, good deal. And there you have it, the dynamic Mr. Robert Jackson. That, Robert, thank you so much for your for your input. Oh, yeah, we're going to let him give his website also. <laughs> website is www.robertjacksonmotivateswiththes.com. God bless. And there you have it. We have a diverse audience here at Let Me Speak to the Principal, uh, different school leaders. And not all of them lead low-income schools, right? That's correct. You're right about that. Right. Yeah. So some of us, some of them deal with an opposite spectrum mm-hmm. of parents. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these parents are what we may like to call overly engaged in the quotation marks. That's putting it lightly. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the overly engaged parent. Uh, how do schools manage the overly engaged parent? Okay. Well, uh, well, a lot of times the overly engaged parents, we have a term for them, and, and they pretty much know it. It's, it's nothing new, and we call them the helicopter parent because uh-huh. they kind of hover over the school and hover over over their kids. Uh, according to Shipping and Mirror back in 2013, a helicopter parent is a parent who pays extremely close attention, extremely close attention to their children's experience and problems in all areas, but particularly in their education uh, environment. So that means that they pretty much are camped out in your schools. Right. Most right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but uh, Stephen Covey said in his book, The um, Eight Habits of Highly Effective uh, People, uh, seek first to understand, then try to be understood. So you want to try to understand, even not just with the helicopter parents, try to understand them, but your low-income parents, but any, any, any parents, you want to try to understand exactly why they're coming from, or where they're not involved, or why they're overly involved in your school. Um, you know, from my understanding of just the, the helicopter parents, I, I see them may being involved so much because a lot of times they, not, they normally don't have anything to do. Uh, they don't work. Uh, they're pretty financially well-off, so... Uh, they spend most of their time making sure that uh, that their kids are treated well in school. They feel, hey, listen, I pay uh, these uh, exorbitant amount of taxes, and so I'm going to make sure that my kids get a good quality education. I want to make sure everybody knows me also. Um, they uh, they want to make sure that their kids are competitive uh, in the school. Uh, you know, they, they want to make sure their kids are in the top ten. If they're in the band, they're, you know, they're the band leader. 
Um, and, 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 and in some cases, this is stereotyping, and I don't mean to do that. But they're just, they're, they, they are parents that, uh, that are, are, like I said, extremely involved in their child's education on a daily basis. And they want what's best for their child. Um, but they have to understand a lot of times that, you know, as the principal, you know, you want what's best for all kids. Right. You know, you don't focus just on a particular kid or a group of kids or one kid. You want what's best for all kids. Everyone wants what's best for kids. But what's the difference between them and a low-income family? Well, you know, have you ever heard the old adage, adage um, the squeaky wheel gets the oil? Yeah. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> squeaky they're wheel. In, they, they're in the school. Uh-huh. And so they're constantly, you know, they're, they're in the school. They're bringing things to the attention of the, of the principal uh, and the administrators and teachers sometimes, particularly in, in cases of their kids. And so if they're there, if they're in the school and they want what's best for their kids, different, you know, they want their kids in a particular student's class, uh, the teacher's class, that is, or uh, some certain things, then the, the principal, the administrator has no other choice but to listen to them. So that, uh, that is, uh, that's one of, the, one of the big things, that they're there and they're making demands. And, uh, and if they can come with a, with a good rationale, reasoning, for their demands. A lot of times uh, the administrators and teachers will adhere to it. So I'm going to let you continue because we also talked about ways of using them in a positive light. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And that's a great thing because, uh, you know, uh, they, they you can get them involved in doing things around the school, uh, being volunteers. A lot of times, like I said also, uh, they, they're not, com- everything is not completely uh, adversarial as it relates to a helicopter parent right. because they can make sure that those teachers stay accountable uh, in, in regards to teaching, uh, making sure that they stay on track with their lesson plans, making sure they're getting their grades out, they're conducting their assessments when they're supposed to, because when they don't, they got they got a voice there that they can go, uh, uh, personally, they can listen to their voice. You know, and accountability is actually a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, when Absolutely. parents are involved in the school. Absolutely. Um, I know that they are, some of them are overly involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. I remember a time when I was coaching right. and I had a parent who Basically, wanted to coach the team. Right. Exactly. I don't know if you, as a principal, you had that experience of the um, the best player on the team should automatically go to the NBA because that's their kid. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> they're gonna be in. The, they're they're an all star. Yeah, absolutely. They're an all star, and the coach is preventing them from mm-hmm. getting the D one scholarship at five six exactly. and yeah. runs a five seven forty. Yeah, there you go. I understand. I used to have to have uh, those type of parents, uh, you know, in the event that discipline had to be administered to their kids. They wanted discipline for everybody else's kid. Oh. So when it came to theirs, that was, you know, now nah, that should be a little bit something different because I'm here every day and being involved. Somebody should have told me and those type of things. But, you know, again, in, in all parent situations, there are some drawbacks and there are some gains. And like I say, with helicopter parents, they're, they're, they're both. Um, they, they, they are constantly involved in it. They want to volunteer. Uh, they, again, they keep teachers and staff accountable. Um, and they, they want to do what's right, I, I believe, for, for most of the kids. And, and to piggyback on what you said, that it is powerful to have the community involved. Absolutely. And when other parents are involved, it, it enhances the school learning. Right, exactly. And it should cut down on your discipline you and go. other things that go on. I agree. I agree totally. Um, and and all, one of the things i just like to kind of include with on helicopter parents is just, you know, don't turn them off. And, don't, and, and with any parent. You know, just listen to what they have to say. 
if it's something that can be done and is rational and would benefit all kids, then that's good. But if it's just something that's specific to their kids, yet they have to realize that that's not the purpose of the school. The, the school is there is for, for teaching and learning for all students. We talk a lot about research and uh, we definitely want to leave our listeners right. with some research. Right. So if you could give me a pundit who is uh, essential to you know, parental involvement research, who would you name? Well, there are a lot of good ones out there, but uh, my go-to person and always have been in the 18 years that I've been a building principal has been Joyce Epstein. Uh -huh. uh, she is uh, phenomenal, man. She conducts uh, research not only for many schools and school districts, but also for the uh, U.S. Department of Education, too. And one of the things that she's committed to the area, and as a, again, like I said, has done substantial work, uh, she's the developer of the Epstein Framework for six types of involvement. And uh, I would highly suggest that uh, any uh, new principal or, or seasoned principal, if they want to know anything about getting parents involved in their child's education or they want some new strategies um, or just to add to some of the strategies that they have, I would highly suggest that they research uh, Joyce Epstein and her six types of involvement. So give me some of the types of involvement that Joyce Epstein has. Well, like I said, it's six of them. <laughs> so, Good. So I'll name all six. Just get six. Uh, it, it, it's, it's parity and uh, communication, volunteering, uh, learning at home, decision-making, collaborating with community. And again, what she's doing is that she's speaking specifically to principals about getting parents involved in their schools. And these are the six types. Uh, I use these actually six types of, uh, of, of involvements uh, in my research. My research was on parental involvement. Uh, my dissertation, that is, okay. was on parental involvement. So I use certain So six for six type one, you said parenting. Tell Parent. me about that. Yeah, parenting, just helping all families establish uh, home environments to support their children as students, uh, for the most part. Communication, uh, just designing effective forms of school uh, to home and home to school communication. Uh, about school programs, that's vitally important. Okay, and volunteering, what? how would you do that one? Uh, recruiting and organizing parents. A lot of times, parents, like we talked about earlier, parents want you to reach out and, 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 and ask them to be involved in a lot of things. You know, we would send home uh, uh, questionnaires with parents, you know, what type of, uh, what type of, of school uh, committee would you want to be on? Uh -huh. Those type of things. And just let's say, okay, I want to, I want to be a hall monitor, I, I, or I want to monitor the cafeteria, or I want to work in the library. But just reaching out to parents. Don't, have, don't be sitting back and telling and let parents feel that they have to come to you right. to ask you. But when the school takes the first step out and reaching out to parents and, and having and letting them know that, hey, we need, we want your involvement, we need your involvement in order to make our school a better school. So learning at home is one of the types that she's mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. What is your experience with that? Well, uh, you know, just, just having the, the parents provide information and ideas about uh, how to help students at home and homework and other curriculum-related activities. A lot of times, uh, you know, as a school, uh, again, like I said, we, we, we believe sometimes that the parent automatically, particularly if the kid has come up through elementary school, maybe middle school and high school, we feel like the parents already know how to help the kid become involved in that. But a lot of times they don't know. So we have to just give them this ideas on exactly how to uh, be involved in their child's education. Something very simple. My mother used to do every day when we come home from school. 
Just simple question. What y'all learned today in school? Don't let them, because first, you know, the first question, answer, they're going to get nothing. Nah, don't sell it for that. Don't I don't it. know. Yeah, yeah. So you ask specifically, what did y'all learn today in math? Tell me about what you did in math today. Yeah. Tell me about what you did in English, you know. Uh, uh, talk to me a little bit. I know last week y'all were looking at, uh, uh, you're looking at sales and science. How is that going? You know, just, just showing the, your, your child that you have some wickedness as it relates to, you know, how they're doing in school. So those, those type of things. Uh, just to just to pause just for a quick second, mm-hmm. I have a middle school daughter, mm-hmm. and when I ask her, "Hey, what did you learn in school today?" Right. It's nothing, Absolutely. or uh, I don't know. Oh, so yeah. then I hit her with a three, two, one. Uh-huh. Tell me three things you learned today. That's excellent. Two things you can tell somebody else. Right. And one thing that affects your future. That's spoken like a true teacher. Hey, 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 hey you know, put them in check. Hey, right? I had to put yeah. it in check because <laughs> she hit me with the I don't know real right, quick. Exactly. Oh, so yeah, I, I had to teach my wife and right. that we have to. Ask right. her those types of questions. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. As parents too, we have to conduct assessments yeah. uh, as to how kids perform in school. So just ask some specific questions, not just something general. Yeah. You know, ask some specific questions. So you also mentioned decision making. How did you involve parents in your decision making within your school? Right. Well, it's it's important that parents be on school governance committees. Uh, we had a site-based team where uh, actually it was required by law yeah. that we had uh, at least four parents on there. But uh, we, we'll put them sometimes on um, uh, 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 PLCs, and, and that's, that's, that's kind of thinking out of the box. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Having a parent in there being involved. I'm telling you, parents can be a, 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 they can be a huge proponent in promoting your school. By going out and you know telling other parents about what great things that are actually occurring, they can dispel a lot of myths and rumors a lot of times. Right? Yeah. So that's why it's good to get them involved in decision making uh, type situations too, if they possibly can. Man, the parenting PLC is a really good one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, collaboration with the community. How mm-hmm. did you? You mentioned earlier that you went to, to the church, right? Exactly. Tell me some of the other collaborative ways that you engage parents. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, in, in, in several schools that I have been principal of, I, I really didn't live in those communities, uh-huh. but uh, I, I was around the commu- in the community quite a bit. Uh, I made sure that my barber was always in the community right. that I had was, uh, was, uh, was principal. And I'd, I'd actually shop in the, in, the, uh, in the grocery stores there, uh-huh. meeting the grocery store owners, uh, uh, the, the managers of the grocery store, uh, the local stores. Uh, I would attend a lot of the uh, kids' uh, AAU basketball games and Pee Wee League football games and cheerleader type yeah. thing, church choir thing. So just as a principal, just staying involved in the community and making sure the community know you right. and you know the community because the community has a huge impact on the parents and they too, you need them to help you to get those parents involved also. So I had a masterful principal. I'm going to call his name Jaime Castaneda was masterful. He was the most engaged principal I've ever saw in the mm-hmm. community. Right. And for those people who live on the near north side of Houston, Texas, you'll know mm-hmm. that Jaime did so much with Jeff Davis High School. It right. was a uh, Title I high school mm-hmm. in um, Houston Independent School District. And, okay. and Jaime right. was a master right. at uh, giving information to the community. He used mm-hmm. to host these community dinners. Mm-hmm. And 
as a new teacher, when I came there, we used to have really late. I shouldn't say it was late, but I felt it was late as a new teacher right. that we were staying up at the school till eight thirty when we had parent teaching night. Absolutely. So yeah. I was like, man, why we yeah. gotta stay up here until eight thirty? Because I didn't live in the community either. Right. Exactly. You know. Right. <laughs> so exactly. I lived really far out. I lived right. in the suburbs. So I would come in. I was like, man, this is a long right. time. Right. And now, since hearing you talk, that mm-hmm. is really putting. You know the icing on the cake for me. Absolutely. As a as a teacher, absolutely. that you know that that's very important to engage the community. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the flexibility in, in your time is huge uh, when it comes to dealing with uh, uh, you know low income parents. Like we said, a lot of them work maybe two or three jobs sometimes. So when they see that the teacher and the and the school is being flexible in their time, holding the uh, parent teacher nights a little longer than maybe normal. Uh, or even sometimes even coming in on Saturdays to, to discuss their students' performance. Yeah. You know, that, that's, a, that's huge in reaching out. We also talked about uh, the community coming involved, opening up your school on Saturdays uh, to allow, you know, special program. I, I even had a church on Sundays that would rent my school out, would have church on, in my school on Sunday, my school's cafeteria. So, you know, those types of anything that you can do, like you, uh, uh, like Epstein said, in order to gain that collaborative collaboration and buy-in of the community, it certainly benefits the school. So the to wrap this up, the whole purpose of community involvement is to improve the school, correct? There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a there's an old saying that, man, it, it is still, uh, still relevant today. You know, it, it takes an entire village to raise a child. When you grab that, when you get that community involved and wrap themselves around that, that child and support that child and support the school, then the schools are going to have better schools and you're going to have better students also. Now, we'll research consistently supports that when parents are involved in their child's education, students do better in school. So armed with this information, it then becomes the duty of the school leader to do whatever it takes to prioritize parental involvement on their campus. Leaders must set the example. They can start by making it a non-negotiable that every adult in the school will treat parents with respect, value, and as their partner in education. Parents should be viewed as an asset and not an adversary. Big dollars. Yes, sir. On the next episode, we're going to talk about educational technology. Now, now, this is what I've been waiting for for a minute. Here we go. Now, we get the chance to flip the switch, bro. Now, I get a chance to ask you some questions on some things. Hey, so. hey, man. I And I got some good answers. I talked to Valerie Lewis. Uh-huh. I talked to Noah Geisel. I talked to Shelly Terrell Sanchez. Uh, we got some really good interviews coming up for this next one. Oh, yeah. It sounds like uh, you got the gurus there of digital uh, technology. So. I got so many gurus that I found at ISTE 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't wait to get this episode going. All right. So that means, man, I can go real deep with my questions there. Hey, deeper than the ocean? There you go. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do. Looking forward to it, Will. All right, Big Dollars. This is a great show, and looking forward to the next one. Yeah, same here, man. Have a great week. All right. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during this or any broadcast belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations.